The many coral reefs around the world are beautiful places of clear, pristine waters, housing many colorful and vibrant creatures. Could all these diverse creatures, working together in this underwater community, be a product of circumstance or chance? If different things evolve at different rates and different times and different ways, then you don't have your coral reefs. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Looking at tropical fish in an aquarium is both peaceful and pleasant. It's like a mini coral reef which houses many beautiful fish and other creatures. But how does this community fit together and how does the coral itself grow? Join us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the coral reef and its complex lifestyle. Coral reefs are uniquely made. The most popular one is the Great Barrier Reef off the coast of Australia. Dr. Dennis Englund is professor of biology at Masters College. This is an area of fairly shallow water where the organisms called the coral build a large shelf, usually of calcium carbonate. And these are very, very small organisms between one millimeter and a centimeter uh, in height. And they resemble tiny sea anemones if you would think of it that way. They're also called cnidaria. Uh, in biology, we call these uh, polyps. Dr. Ken Cumming is professor of biology at ICR's graduate school. They have a calcareous shell that they lay down, and in doing so, that calcareous shell then becomes the basis of the rock that becomes the coral grains of sand that eventually build up and become the cemented forms of the coral rocks. The coral that we commonly see is just the skeleton of a tiny living organism. So how do they grow to be so large? They uh, could be very extensive, and when they're put together, they can come in clumps. As they grow, they grow in colonies, and then the colonies expand to form uh, larger groupings. Eventually, they're called referees. They're, that's an aggregate of many coral colonies in a particular location. So what exactly are these coral organisms? Well, they're peculiar organisms uh, in the sense they're polyps and medusa. The medusa are the jellyfish kinds of organisms that float around freestyle, and in their mobility they're able to spread the colonies and start new colonies at different locations. However, the medusa is very particular as to when it reproduces. Dr. England. Not too long ago, in 1984, a scientist first noticed that many different species of coral, the coral reef, would spawn only on certain nights after a full moon between October and early December. They'd never seen this before. Why? They were looking for it. Your presuppositions are extremely critical because if you think you won't see something, you won't. And it wasn't until 1984 that they noticed this pattern with the coral. Why do they spawn on just a couple evenings after a full moon? In fact, they've watched it since that time, and they've noticed that they can predict to the night when the coral will reproduce. Well, how do they know when to do this? Is there an advantage to doing it this way, or is it God's way of saying, 
Look at the control I've produced here, the fantastic control that's in there. The Medusa is able to produce more of itself in an adult form, but their offspring, the polyp, is what builds the coral reef. Biologists refer to the polyp as a fixed kind of organism. Dr. Cumming. They find an attachment, and then they grow and they bud. That is, they reproduce asexually. They bud and split off and form new individuals in that way, and that's the way the colony grows normally. Another amazing thing about coral is their ability to produce new cells. Dr. England. And in studying the coral, we see many, many examples. What if you or I lost a limb or lost an eye? We won't grow a new one, but these animals can take cells that have other purposes, and they can undergo what's called de-differentiation, meaning it becomes a generalized stem cell and produces new cells. The different cells of the body can do it. What if a cell from your hair could become an eye or something of this nature? Well, these organisms can do that. Fantastic ability. It's a source of God's great, great wisdom. We find in the coral reef that one life depends upon another. For instance, algae live in the coral, but they also pay rent. Dr. Cumming. The algae produce sugars and nutrients, which the polyps, the, uh, the sedentary form of this animal, utilizes. And then in turn, they produce uh, those materials, but they also produce oxygen that the polyps can live on. And then the... Uh, the polyp itself can produce, uh, can respire and produce CO2, which then is used and incorporated into the cementing agent to form the calcium carbonate that makes the skeleton that then is the base that forms this rock that eventually becomes the coral reef. The algae supplies the food during the day, but the polyp hunts at night. Well, how does he gather it? Well, uh, the tentacles on this polyp are such that they have little stinger cells, nematocysts, that are like a bow and arrow, all packaged in a little cell, and when, when tripped, the little nematocyst breaks out of its cell housing and, like an arrow, goes out and, and pierces a, a, whatever, the sub, whatever the food source might be, a little co copepod or crustacean or a miniature crab or something, and then th that is brought in and is used as food source for the polyp. Uh, and then some of the food source goes to the algae, and, and some of the products of the algae go to the polyp, and it's just a, a good relationship. Although the algae helps the coral, it can also kill it if there's too much of it. Dr. Joe Martin, the host of the video's Incredible Animals That Defy Evolution, introduces us to the parrotfish. The parrotfish actually eats the coral and bites it off. It has powerful uh, jaws, and its teeth are like fused together. It's called a parrotfish because it's, it, it, its teeth come together. They form like a beak. It's not a big mouth, but it, it's powerful, and it'll just bite off pieces of hard coral. And it's not really wanting to eat the coral. It wants to digest the algae out of the coral. And so it does that, and the algae provides the, the nutrients for the parrotfish, and then when the parrotfish gets rid of its waste material, uh, it gives off coral sand. Then something very interesting happens. The coral sand that we see, uh, much of the sand that we see on the ocean floors, has been made by parrotfish. And one parrotfish can make up to a ton of sand in, in any given year. The coral really is dependent upon the parrotfish. In order to have a coral reef that's living and healthy, 
and the little coral organisms are growing and doing well, you have to have the parrotfish coming along and, and eating the coral to get the algae before the algae kills the coral by, by just covering it as a blanket. God gave the parrotfish a secret defense weapon to keep it from being eaten at night. They build a like a mucus cocoon around themselves. It takes about 30 minutes, and out, out they exude this mucus cocoon, and then they're in that cocoon, and other sea creatures that want to eat them Apparently, either they can't see them, even though it's a it's a clear mucus, the, the uh, parrotfish can see through it, but the other fish apparently either can't see the parrotfish or they can't smell the parrotfish, but it's it's like it's built itself a, a predator-proof jacket. So just the design of that, you think, well, how, how would something like that evolve? A fish that can build a mucus cocoon around itself, and he only does it at night, and it protects him from the other creatures that want to eat him? Well, how would something do that unless there was some very uh, intelligent designer behind that that wanted to protect that particular fish so it could keep the coral alive and keep the coral uh, clean of the algae? Dr. Cumming, this whole relationship is highly productive, one of the most productive areas on the, on the surface of the earth. Um, up to 5,000 grams of carbon per square meter per year. That, that's hard to, to convert into um, actual food value type of thing, but that's a lot. Uh, uh, most tundra and deserts only produce 100 uh, uh, grams of carbon per square meter per year. So that's a very productive area. Uh, so it's, it's quite rich in many ways. On the other hand, the whole setup of relationships that we see on coral reefs is a, a wonderful measure of God's design, where we see relationships that God has built into organisms so that they are compatible and they interrelate with one another and they work together for the common good. Dr. England. The coral reef is an area perhaps of the greatest biodiversity on this planet that we have. And what's so amazing is the adaptability that God has built into the genetics and the DNA of these organisms. As tiny as they are, this is a good example and a good place to do research to show that God anticipated all of the struggles that organisms would face under the curse of sin on this planet. And he built in initially into their DNA the abilities to handle the rigors that would come so that life would be sustained until he chose to draw it to an end. So, every animal in the coral reef is important and serves a critical role. Dr. Martin. So, the food chain uh, goes to the from the smallest to the biggest, all the way up. One thing's eating another and living off another and surviving because of another. And Some of the anemones have little fish that live in them and they, they kill everything else, but these little fish can live in them, and so it protects them, and so different organisms pr protect other organisms to make it possible for them to survive. So, yes, it's kind of a, uh, an ecosystem down there that everything lives because everything else is there. With all of the life activity happening in a coral reef, why does it sometimes die? Everything works one thing with the other, and, and none of it, actually, is, is very good by itself. And that's why we end up, we see these dead coral reefs. And it's because part of the system uh, got killed out somehow, either by pollution by man or some other, other things that do it. 
and the whole reef dies. Dr. Cumming. Now, I have to say that intermittently, uh, these colonies will die out, and so you can have a coral reef that sort of dies, and sometimes uh, other organisms, invertebrates, such as starfishes, might come along and, and prey and, and feed on them and kill a large uh, coral reef. There was a time when we thought that was a disaster, but now we believe that there's a succession uh, in these areas where it's a natural phenomenon that coral reefs can be regenerated over a period of time, even though it looks kind of disastrously uh, dangerous when they're first happening, when coral reefs are dying. There are so many beautiful things under the sea to behold with wonder and excitement. But Dr. Englund reminds us not to forget who put it there. Now we've got to realize that the coral is created by God, but it is not God. We're reminded of this if you look in Job chapter 28, verse 18. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. You won't find wisdom in the coral, but you'll find wisdom in one who made the coral. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast about the coral reef and its diverse community that truly does show God's awesome hand of creation. To learn more about creation science or about the Institute for Creation Research, just get in touch with us at ICR. We'd love to hear from you. To ask for today's free offer, please call toll-free 1-800-7-GENESIS. That's 1-800, the number 7, and the word Genesis. And you can address your letters to ICR at P.O. Box 2667, El Cajon, California, 92021. If there's a topic you would like us to cover on the program, then email us at radio at icr.org. ICR's website address is www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.